I love this series on holiness because, as I said at the beginning, this is studying holiness as a way for us to live the life God has intended us to live. And that is for his people to be not only saved, but to be a holy people. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for what we've already experienced in worship today. Lord, we have heard some some great hymns of faith today, Lord, like, It is well and how great thou art. And because he lives, Lord, we just uh, we are just so thankful, Lord, that we can sing praises. Because it just seems like when we lift you up, all of our problems just seem to disappear. Because, Lord, you are mighty and you are holy. May you speak to us today. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, holiness is not an option. It is a package deal. Now, most of you have probably been a part of package deals before. Have you ever heard the term package deal? Basically, it means if you want one certain item, you have to have it with the rest. You have to buy it as a package with the rest of the items there. You can't buy it by itself. Uh, and so I was trying to think of some examples of uh, package deals. Can you all think of some? What would be a package deal? Yeah, preacher, we're not supposed to talk during church. You're supposed to talk to us. Well, that's all right. I'll I'll give you a few, and maybe you can think of some others. But uh, first of all, travel. Travel packages. If you are to go, if you want to save a lot of money, and you you have no real set date when you want to go, you can save a lot of money by going online or going to a travel agent, and they will have a package deal to where if you book this, your lodging, and your travel and your car all at one time, you can save a lot of money. But if you were to buy those things individually, or if you weren't, if you didn't need an airplane ticket, or if you didn't need a rental car, the price would skyrocket. It's part of a package deal, and you cannot get that price unless you take that package. Also, uh, maybe utilities. Uh, some folks have those bundled services where you have phone and internet and, and everything else, and if you were to split those apart, then you'd be paying twice as much. Or uh, Politicians use package deals all the time. There might be a law or an amendment they want to pass through, but they know it won't go in through its own right. So they'll find another bill that it fits with and put it in a stack of uh, papers about this high and slip, and slip that bill in there. And then, of course, if the big package gets approved, then that little one that they wanted approved will go through. Uh, and also families. Families are package deals. They, it used to be, you remember the show Brady Bunch? You know, three boys, three girls. You know the song, I'm not going to sing it. But, but anyway, you know, was it one day when this lady met this fella, they knew that it was much more than a hunch. They would somehow form a family, and they called it the Brady Bunch. You, so you had a mixed, blended family of two different families coming together to have three boys, three girls, all of relatively the same ages, and then uh, all the happiness that ensued after that. But the thing is, is that especially nowadays when, when folks are dating in an age where uh, divorce is, is, is rampant, there's no uh, difference between evangelicals and, and non-evangelicals anymore. The divorce rate is the same uh, among both. And so you know, there's a lot of people, some of you are products of blended family. And so when you're dating someone, you know, if you have a child, that's a package deal. The child comes with with the relationship. And so that is, you can't just say, well, I want you, but you leave your kid at home. You can't do that, can you? It's a package deal. Well, also, in Christ, there is a package deal. And 
Once a person hears the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, they receive what is called gifts. It is a package deal, and they only come from Jesus Christ. And, and there, there's many gifts, but I'm just going to, to, to talk about a few of them in that package. Number one, we get forgiveness of sins. Amen? When we accept Jesus Christ, we are forgiven of our sins. Also, we are justified. We get justification. What does justification mean? I heard a youth pastor say this one time. He said, look at the word justification. That sounds like a big church word, doesn't it? But break it up and say, justification means Christ makes me just as if I've never sinned. And that's a good way to remember justification. We get that. We get the Holy Spirit, which communicates on our behalf towards God. When we pray, He intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit, I've seen so many people, before they met Christ, they don't make any sense of this book. But once they become a Christian, it jumps out at them. Why is that? Because they received the Holy Spirit. Also, we receive, at the time of our conversion, we receive eternal life. Amen? I mean, you know, we don't have to go to hell. We don't have to worry about where we're going because we know one day we'll be with Jesus again. And, and we all like to claim to that. But also, in that package deal is a command to be holy. Oh, no. Yep. That's part of it. You've got salvation, you've got justification, you've got redemption, you've got all these other big church words, but also we have a call to be holy. Folks, holiness is not an optional requirement of a child of God. If you are a believer in here today, you and I, we must pursue holiness. Because the thing about holiness is it gives an authenticity to our conversion. In other words, if we are seeking to be like God, it gives proof that we're saved in the first place. And not only does it give proof of our salvation, it allows us to live in the power of that decision. I've got a friend that's been uh, talking with me some, and we were talking about the gospel. And and so many times I think we have a one-dimensional view of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel being the story of his life, and the fact that he was born of a virgin, that he, he lived a perfect life, he died for the sins of this world, that that he rose again and that he's coming back, that gospel message, we think about that as a one-dimensional, hey, I'm saved, that's all I need. But no, the power of the gospel plays out in our everyday living as we strive to be more like Christ. So God's goal for us, he says, you be holy because I am holy. And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verses 14 through 29. Hebrews chapter 12 14 through 29. And let's read verses 14 through 17 together where we see that no one, and I mean no one, worships in an unholy state. It says in verse 14, Pursue peace with everyone. Wow, we could just stop there and camp for an hour, couldn't we? Pursue peace with everyone. Does everyone really mean everyone? It does. Does it even mean that bully in gym class that used to give me a hard time? Does it mean that I have to be nice to them? Yes, it does. Pursue peace with everyone. Even the people that don't agree with me? Folks, it says everyone. Even the people that have done you wrong? Even that person that is just, God, you know they're annoying. They're still everyone. It says, pursue peace with everyone in holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. 
So what he's saying here is without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness, if you'd like to underline in your Bible, I would underline root of bitterness. Do not, no root of bitterness spring up, causing trouble and by it defiling many. And make sure that there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for one meal. For you know that later, when he wanted to inherit a blessing, he was rejected because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance, though he sought it with tears. Folks, unholy people cannot see Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. If you do not feel like God is working in your life as he should then you probably have an issue with unholiness. Because we cannot see the Lord and be in an unholy state. He talks in here about, he mentions the rituals of the, in the Old Testament before Jesus Christ. Folks, there, there were so many rituals and cleansing rituals and things that you had to do to be clean before the Lord that if, you, if the priest would want to go and intercede on your behalf, he would have to wash several times in the temple court in different basins, and then, I mean, literally wash, and then and come to God in the Holy of Holies in a holy state, or he would be killed. And so we see here that if holiness was a big deal back then, do you think God just kind of let it slide? God is a holy God, and he does not let that slide. So if someone is not a believer, and they live an unholy life, and they wonder why nothing's coming together, and they wonder why God doesn't make any sense to them, and they wonder why all these Jesus nuts are telling them to, to, uh, to, to live a way that they don't want to live, they don't get it, they don't understand it, because they are unholy, and the unholy do not see God. Well, that's easy for us to comprehend. But the thing that stings a little bit for you and me is that if we are blood-bought believers in Christ, and we have signed on the dotted line, and we have our fire insurance, we're not going to hell because we have been saved, but yet we let unholy things come into our lives. It stifles the fellowship between us and God. It stifles the fellowship between us and God. Uh, most of y'all have seen my truck before. I like to, to run with tinted windows. Because it, it makes the, the inside of the truck cooler, and I, I just like the look. But, but when I first started using tinted windows years ago, it was very difficult, especially at night, to know when you could pull out into traffic. And it just it took some, some getting used to, because that film made everything dark. I couldn't see everything as clearly as I would like to. Folks, for a believer who allows sin to run rampant in their life, you have a film over your eyes, and though you might see God, you do not see Him as clearly as you could if you made living a holy life your desire. And also we see here, if you're right with God, you'll be right with people. Right? The, the greatest commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second of these, love your neighbor as yourself. You show me a person that is out of kilter with people, I'll show you a person that is out of kilter with God. You show me a person that is right with God, I'll show you a person that is right with people. The two are not mutually exclusive. They go together like peanut butter and jelly. You ever put peanut butter and jelly together? 
Can, once you put them together, can you get them apart? No, you cannot. And why would you want to? Amen. Peanut butter and jelly is a wonderful thing. But folks, we can talk like we're a Christian and treat people like trash. Or we can be a good person but not give God the time of day. Still, that leads to an only life. Holy living is loving God and loving people. You may not agree with everything, but ultimately you will see others as God sees them. That's like I said earlier, where God said to show peace to everyone. Folks, there are people that I do not agree with. There are things that are going on in this world that I cannot stand. But to get on a stump and spew hate, that's not living at peace with people. That's, that's not glorifying God. Don't get me wrong. We have to stand. And when it comes time to vote, when it comes time to be vocal, I will be as vocal as everybody else. But we have to do our best to work and be in peace with one another, is what the Scripture is saying. If you are right with God, you will be right with people. Also, holiness is the roundup that keeps the weeds of bitterness at bay. I, uh, you know, now it's, you know, how many of y'all are full-blown into landscaping your yard now and cutting grass? It's here, isn't it? We've already gone through the pollen, and, and so uh, I have uh, had my, my share of issues with my lawnmowers and my weed eaters. Hopefully I've got some friends that can help me out uh, and get me going. So I uh, cut the yard yesterday, and everything is fine. But i got this problem. Along the fence line, there are weeds. And I tell myself, i got to go get some weed or some Roundup. And, weed the, and, and spray this stuff. Folks, I said that a month ago. And the weeds are getting bigger. The passage here says, do not let a what? A root of bitterness take place in your life. Because here's the reason. Bitterness, like my weeds in my backyard, they start small. It begins with things like pettiness, selfishness. Maybe someone hurt your feelings. Maybe you're jealous. But it's just like those cartoons and those movies you see where somebody starts a snowball at the top of the mountain and they begin rolling and it goes down the mountain and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That one little snowball of bitterness turns into rage. People that are in jail today started with the root of bitterness. Churches that have been split today started with the root of bitterness. Families that have been torn apart started with the root of bitterness. Friends that you won't talk to anymore started with the root of bitterness. People that are mad at God and will not follow Him started with a root of bitterness. Because we wanted to live our life and not live a holy life is God intended. Because, folks, here's the thing. I talked about that snowball that, that gets bigger and bigger as it rolls down. Don't you wish somewhere along the way in your life as, as things are progressing in a, in a bad manner, somebody would just get in front of that snowball and stop it? Just stop it right there. Holiness does that. Living a holy life. Striving to live a holy life will stop bitterness in its tracks. 
if you decide to do that. Because holiness keeps you and I from making mistakes today that will be with us forever. There's a, I don't even know, is it still a big thing for students to have senior week at the beach for high schoolers? Is that still a big deal? No? Maybe? Somewhere? Well, back when I was, back in my day, everybody wanted to go to Myrtle Beach for the, the week of senior senior week and and just be their own person and do whatever. Golly. I don't know if they still do it now, but but the thing is, is that I would always tell kids, as a youth pastor, I would say, Look, when you go to senior week, I want you to make memories, not scars. Make memories, not scars. And many of them they did. They went, they had a good time with their friends, they came back, and everything was fine. But there are others they did things they swore they would never do with people they swore they'd never see. And they come back with scars of memories. But here's the thing, is that Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, forgives you and I of confessed and repented sin. But when we sin, there are always consequences, right? And that's the beautiful thing about God's love, is that when we sin... And we confess we are scarred from it. But those scars are not a reminder of the pain that we endured, but it is a reminder of the hand of God that healed it. How can you get that perspective from your hurts and your life? Holiness. Holiness does that. And you mentioned Esau at the end of the passage. Esau was a good example of being a bad example. If you know the story, Esau basically traded his birthright for a pot of stew. He came in one day, he was hungry, so Jacob, his little brother, who was a mama's boy, tricked him into selling his birthright as the firstborn son. And he, he basically, Jacob stole his brother's birthright. And people say, well, Jacob shouldn't have done that. That was not nice. Well, that was, pretty, that was the wrong thing to do. Any of you... Uh, have little brothers or sisters that got the best of you one time? I think anybody that's had siblings probably has had that. But before we throw Jacob under the bus, here's the bigger problem. Esau could have cared less about his right as the firstborn of that family. Folks, he sold it for a pot of stew. A physical craving took precedence over his spiritual responsibility and his responsibility as the firstborn of the family. Esau's sin was this. He took his call as the firstborn very lightly. Folks, if you are a Christian and you take your status as a born-again believer as lightly as Esau, you will never know the life God has intended for you. Do not be careless the things that God has given you. Because Esau, if you study his story and you read how this comes out, he never recovered from that decision. Because what do we learn from Esau? If we live our life for petty things, we never experience God's best things. That's what we learn from Esau. If we live for petty things, we never experience God's Best things. I remember there was a point in my life to where I would not be happy unless I had a members only jacket. Man, 
man had the collar. Some of y'all still wear them. They had that collar with the, with the strap that goes around. And here's how stupid I was. I actually thought you had to be a member to buy one. A member of what? I don't know. But I thought, man, I just got to have that member's only jacket. And later on it was, oh, I've got to have these checkerboard band shoes, man. They, they are awesome. I go back and I look at my high school pictures and I think, what was I thinking? I had to have it at those times. Folks, at the times, as a teenager, those were big things for my life. And I don't downplay them one bit. But as I look at them in retrospect, how petty were those things? None of them even hold a candle to what Christ did for me in my high school years. And folks, if we let our lives be run by petty things, we will never experience God's best for our life. The second thing we see is that holiness is a big deal to God. Therefore, it should be a big deal to you. Holiness is a big deal to God. Read verses 18 through 24. It says, For you have not come to what could be touched to a blazing fire, to darkness, to gloom and storm, to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words. Those who heard it begged that not another word be spoken to them, for they could not bear what was commanded. And even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am terrified and trembling. Instead, you have come to Mount Zion in the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels and festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose name has been written in heaven, to God who is a judge of all, to the spirits of righteousness, people made perfect, to Jesus, a mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. What we see here is we see a picture into the two types of systems that dealt with sin. First of all, in the Old Testament, you see the sacrificial system of where people would have sacrifices and they would go to the temple and the priest would intercede for them. And then you see when Jesus came in the new covenant that he established where we no longer needed priests to do that but because of the priests of the believer, we can access God directly. But what I want you to understand is, is, and we've said this before, in the Old Testament, people could not see God directly and live. Moses saw God, didn't he? But it wasn't directly, it was through a burning bush. Because God is so holy, and God is so mighty, that if we, in, in these earthly suits of skin, and dust, and water, and chemicals, and all of these different things that we have, if we were to be in the presence of God, we would melt before Him. Because He is that holy. And folks, I know Jesus Christ has come to save you from your sins, and you are a Christian and you can approach Him, but His holiness has not changed. I think the problem is too many people believe that God is some old grandfatherly figure with a beard up in heaven in a corner crying over what's happening in this world. That is not God. God is weighty. God is holy. God is mighty. And just because you and I don't believe that, doesn't make it not true. Listen, there is all the power that we can manage at a Duke power station somewhere. But if we're in our house and we've got light switches and we decide to light candles instead... The problem is not 
the mightiness of Duke power. The problem is we hadn't flipped the switch. The reason the church is in the shape it is in today, the reason the culture is in the shape it is in today, the reason your life is where it is today is because you either have or have not flipped the switch on the holiness and the power and the majesty and the glory and the weight and the omnipotence and the all-present, all-powerful attributes of God. You've got to flip the switch. And how do you flip the switch? That, that switch is called holy living. Because our holiness is a result of God's system of reward and punishment. We see here that holiness is, if we have holiness in our lives, that holiness is followed by blessings. But if we have disobedience in our life, it is met with correction. Both blessings and correction are responses of a loving God. Folks, I have put it in the ditch morally as much as any of you have. And I am so grateful that even when I was punished, that God's love was with me through all of that. Holiness, though, if you are pursuing holiness in your life, it is a proof of membership. Notice in verse 22 it said, Instead you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. If, if you are striving to be holy, look, you're not going to be perfect. I know you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But if you are striving to be holy, it is proof that the Spirit of the Lord is inside you. If someone were to come to me and say, well, preacher, I don't know if I'm saved or not. According to this passage, you know what I would ask you? Are you striving to be holy? If you are, then the chances are good. If not, not so good. And it also mentions the significance of the blood of Abel. If you remember, Cain and Abel, the first brother, in, uh, the first brother fight, the first murder ever recorded in history. Cain and Abel were the sons of Adam and Eve. God asked them to bring a sacrifice. Cain was a farmer. He brought the best fruits he could. Abel was more of a shepherd, a um, livestock kind of thing. So he brought a lamb. And God was more pleased with the sacrifice that Abel brought. Because actually Abel's sacrifice cost him a whole lot more than Cain's did. So Cain became so jealous that he killed his brother. And his blood put guilt on Cain for the rest of his life. Abel's blood was spilled as the first murder, but Cain was guilty of shedding Abel's blood. What's the difference between Abel and Jesus Christ? The difference is Jesus Christ actually chose to spill his blood. Because, folks, holiness looks at what God has provided through grace, not the guilt of that which you have been forgiven. As you are looking to live a holy life, look at what God has provided to you through grace, not where you messed up. Because listen, if you can't get past the baggage of what you used to do and what you've done, that is a lie straight from the pit of hell because God is not your, your accuser. Satan is. And if you have prayed and repented and confessed 
and ask God to forgive you those sins and move from those sins, Satan will do everything he can to bring you back to it. But listen here, folks. When Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. You are blood-bought. You are holy in the eyes of God. On earth, people are terrified of meeting God. But yet, in heaven, those who are believers that are there cannot wait to see Him. The third thing we see is that in the end, only the holy will remain. In the end, only the holy will remain. He says in verse 25, Make sure that you do not reject the one who speaks, for if they did not escape when they rejected him, who warned them on earth, even less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. His voice, I love this. <laughs> I can just hear the mighty majesty of it. His voice shook the earth at that time. But now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. This expression, yet once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what is not shaken might remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us hold on to grace. By it, may we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe. And then here, here's the tagline that people like to gloss over. But it says, for our God is a what, church? A consuming fire. Most everybody in here has seen uh, a, a campfire or even a big bonfire. And, and some of you in here have even had the opportunity to see huge fires up close. And you know that once a fire gets so hot, everything it touches consumes. I think of the wildfires that we see in California with all of these acres and acres and acres that have been barren. When he says in verse 25, I will shake, that is a quotation from an Old Testament book in Haggai, chapter 2, verse 6, which refers to a time when God will fill his house with glory. In other words, God's going to do some spring cleaning. That's one thing. I love having people over at our house. Do you like having company at your house? Of course we do. We like to entertain. We like to be a host. We like to do all those kind of things. But if somebody important's coming over, you've got to know you've got to get the vacuum out. You've got to start dusting. You've got to get the trash out. You've got to do all of these different things to make sure that you get ready. You have to, you have to clean up everything, right? Folks, Jesus Christ is coming. Are you cleaning up? When it says that we need to hold on to God's grace in verse 28, we got to remember this, folks. God protects. God provides. God hears our prayers. God prepares a place for us. John 14 says that. And then Jesus promises to return. And last but not least, where he says God is a consuming fire, Part of me just wants to, to, to jump on a stump and scream like an old-time preacher and let my face get red to say this. But the truth is, everything and everyone who is not holy will 
be consumed by fire. Everything that is not holy, everyone who is not holy will be consumed by fire. Yes, it's talking about judgment. It's talking about hell. It's talking about people that are looking in the face of God right now and laughing and mocking Him, thinking that they've got one up on God. But understand, God is not mocked. And one day, His consuming fire will, will descend upon this earth and destroy everything that is not holy. That is why He is saying to you today, You be holy. Because the only thing that is not going to be destroyed are those things that are holy. Folks, what does that mean to you and me today? It means do not put your faith into anything or anyone that will rust, rot, die, or fade away or be destroyed. Because only that which is holy will remain. God is holy and He demands that we are holy. Folks, holiness is not optional. And our holiness is not found in ourselves or our good works, but in Christ alone. And if you are a Christian today, I want you to understand, you are holy. Let me show you this last verse. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says, For He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. I've, I've talked a lot about pursuing holiness today. And what I want you to see is that if you have accepted Jesus Christ into your life as Savior and Lord, when God looks at you, He doesn't see you and your imperfections. You know what He sees, right? He sees the holiness of His Son, Jesus Christ. But that doesn't let you off the hook. Because as I said in the beginning of this passage, if you are a Christian you are not pursuing holiness, your fellowship, not relationship, but your fellowship with God, you've got to film over it. If you want to live the life God has created you to live, pursue holiness. Trusting God for salvation is not enough. Holiness is part of the package. Because folks, if you love Jesus enough to accept Him, you will love Him enough to follow Him and obey Him. You will love Him enough to pursue holiness. Let's pray. God, thank You for this message, for Your Word today, Lord. It is my prayer that there are believers in here today that have kind of been in a rest area, Lord, and kind of letting life happen rather than pursuing holiness. And they would like some prayer or some strength. Uh, if they'd like to, to talk to me or just come forward and pray. The altar is open. May they come forward. Maybe there's someone here that would say that for the first time today, it makes sense. I haven't understood God because I haven't put it in a position to be around Him, but I see today that I need Him. I realize that in my state, I am unholy, and I want to be holy. My friend, that only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ, by saying, Jesus, come into my life as Savior and Lord. I'm beginning to live that new life. Maybe you want to join this church. Maybe you just want to pray. We're going to have this hymn of invitation as we stand. Would you please respond?